A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Checo, you're on Max's strategy. That from Abu It Is on Twitter. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and welcome to the Monaco Grand Prix race review. And it was an interesting Monaco. Who could have predicted? Well, anyone with a weather app and previous knowledge of Monaco races, Monaco races are essentially non events unless there's rain. Luckily, there was rain, and rain is good, but you Monaco sympathisers don't get an I told you so. Most Monaco races are dry, and most dry Monaco races are non-events. But I will say, as an F1 supporter, I'm so happy that this race was interesting. In a season where F1 popularity has never been higher, and on a race weekend that attracts possibly the most hype, of any F1 weekend. I'm so glad that the new fans will have had a continued good impression of the sport and of the season. We have had an exciting Barcelona and an exciting Monaco back-to-back. I'm really happy that happened. I just need you you guys out there to know that that is not standard. So this week we'll discuss why Perez won the Monaco Grand Prix. We'll wonder who else could have won the Monaco Grand Prix Is Sergio Perez a title contender? And when will Ferrari look at themselves and admit that this season's performance isn't good enough for their cars and drivers? We'll also ask, what does this race say for the future of Monaco? And has all hope gone for fans of Daniel Ricciardo? We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. Not currently working out to the very last decimal exactly how badly Ferrari miscalculated Leclerc's strategy. Oh, well, I hope you are because it's going to come up. And we're joined by race driver Brad Philpot. How's it going, Brad? Coming to you live from a super yacht in the harbour. Is that true or a lie? Are you really in a reclined sim chair? That that might be more true. 
And we're joined by commentator and presenter Ellen Ellard. Lifelong Monaco fan who's currently taking the moral high ground. Oh, I see, I see. I'm getting some I told you so's, are you? Right, well, let's explore where the race was won and lost. Okay, actually, let's start first by... Let's argue with uh, Ellen first, because you're a Monaco sympathiser, a Monaco apologist. And look, fair play. Every now and then, there's some moisture on the track and it delivers something exciting. And and we really did have like a proper 20-minute chunk of that race, which was mega and tense, plus a tense ending as well. Yeah, I what the point I want to pick you up on is Uh-oh. when you said that Monaco races are essentially non-events because that is just, no, but that is so far from true because whether you like it or not, they are the biggest events on the calendar. So, so they, so what I would like to counter that with Ellen is that the event is an event, but the race is a, is a non-event, but you're absolutely right to say that it's probably one of the most publicized and picked up on events from the mass media outside of formula one the live stream figures that we get here for the monaco grand prix are always higher than anywhere else so from that point of view you're right there's a magic that monaco is still holding on to and, and this race might have just saved it a little bit yeah definitely i think today has absolutely sparked that back up and we we're talking about it before but one of the things that was mentioned quite a bit before in quali and as soon as leclerc got pole was oh you know if he could win this this will be great for hopefully getting that bid and everything, all those negotiations to go through again. And you know what? Part of me, as much as I would have loved to see him win his home Grand Prix, I'm kind of happy that it didn't work out that way and we got a really good race. Yeah, you might say only for 20-odd minutes or so. But we got a really good race. And actually, I think that proved why Monaco should stay on the calendar. And I think, you know, I think everyone would be disappointed if they don't get that negotiation over the line. Okay, so I will, look, it was a little harsh saying, oh, it was only 20 minutes was good because, you know, it it culminated in the whole event being great. But they did put Charles Leclerc on his own little step, didn't they, in the opening. Mm. It was very clear that they were looking for a Monegasque home win. Brad. Yeah, all oh, the build-up was, was surrounding that, you know. And, and, and you're always going to do that, aren't you? You know, the broadcasters are always going to look for those little stories. And then it helped that, you know, it was, you know, everyone's talking about that sort of revenge and that, you know, <laughs> is he owed something by Monaco, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, it's obviously a shame that it didn't work out, but it provided us, because of that, a really, really interesting race. So first of all, I think they are always now putting the home drivers out front. I'm pretty ah, sure it happened to Sainz okay, and Alonso okay, okay. at Barcelona as well. So I don't think that was just a Leclerc special thing. I've missed that now. On the Leclerc curse, where <laughs> he never finished at Monaco, yeah. I think maybe this was the first step. A bit like George Russell had his whole never scoring points curse. And he was going to win that race for Mercedes, but he, he still scored points. So he got that monkey off his back. So the points thing was put to bed. This is, this is Charles Leclerc's... Um, never finishing at Monaco curse put to bed so we can win the next one. Yeah, but now he's got his never podium curse. A new curse. Where, where there's, it's the god of the curses, god of the gaps, Brad. Wherever a curse disappears, we can add a new one. Matt? I just kind of want to know what he did in a past life to deserve this sort of treatment. <laughs> well, okay, I'll tell you what he did. He thumped a barrier at Monaco. What else has he done to irk the gods of Monaco? He, he he dropped Nicky Lauda's car into Raskas. Yeah, the, the Monaco gods would not have been very happy with that at all. But let's get into some of the, the race tactics because Leclerc did have a an easy victory 
ahead of him. You're at Monaco. You're you're in the dry. Yes, it rained a little bit, but you managed to survive that and get out front. Well done. Uh, but within the span of what, like two pit stops over five laps, everything seemed to just completely disintegrate. And especially on the back of the engine failure at Barcelona, you do have to wonder if Leclerc has crossed the the wrong deity. Can I just give my layman's opinion of what sure, happened? Sure, yes. And then Matt can tell me why I'm wrong and give us the detailed sure, breakdown. Sure. So watching it, as I did, in an ice rink on my mobile phone, what I... And I was watching in detail. Um, I, Excuses. I was supposed to be watching my mum compete in a competition, but I kind of did both. <laughs> but anyway, it looked to me like Ferrari were too late going to the Inters and then they were too early going to the Slicks. And it was those two things that culminated in Leclerc going from first down to fourth. It was like one mistake, left it too late, should have done the, you know, should have jumped first with the with the Inters and then they went too early the second time around. It was kind of, you know, a compound problem. That's the simple way it looked to me. Well, if you're going to put it that way, Brad, which is not the way you put it in our WhatsApp chat at all, then then yeah, that's pretty much it. Essentially, the race was won and lost when Carlos Sainz, I think, correctly deduced that the smarter strategy for Ferrari was simply to overcut them by staying on the wet tires because he's like, well, I've got a Ferrari and there's no amount of pace a Red Bull is going to bring to me that's going to get by me until it's time to go on to slicks. I mean, we've seen Hamilton do this before. This is a known quantity at this track, even though these cars are new. And then they said, well, okay, so um, our driver in second place doesn't want to come in. Hey, Charles, how about you? You want to come in and get some enters? But the problem was a whole lap of Perez being stupidly much faster had a lap. So when Leclerc came back out, he was behind Perez. Okay, but you, and you, he'd already lost the lead at that point. It was done for him. But, and the compounding factor, as you point out, is the completely messed up call to come in the same lap as signs for the hard tire. So the first thing then, the fact that Leclerc came in and then immediately lost track position to, to Perez. Surely that was a really simple thing for Ferrari to just look at the gaps and realize there's not enough time for us to retain track position. We all know from decades of experience that track position is key at Monaco. Even if you're way slower, you can just stay in front. So why on earth did they pit him? And I know there was another mistake just afterwards, but this seems like an obvious way to just throw away the win. Well, it is. If he'd come in, if he'd come in at the end of the lap that Perez started coming in, he'd have won the race. It's no problem. My personal pet theory is that someone had a very ill-timed trip to the loo. <laughs> okay, so look, it's... and they just didn't know what to do when Signs said, "No, I insist on staying out." But it could be that the timing of the decision with Signs meant that he missed his window to come in for those enters, and they were still trying to cover Perez, even though the maths should have told them that it was too late. So. I think you started that by saying, well, science correctly deduced that if you go from the wets to the slicks, that was going to be the fastest strategy. The yep. thing that put me off that was, I think Russell was having a conversation about doing the same thing, and either he or his engineers said, well, actually, we're, we're about 11 laps away from it being suitable conditions for, for slick tyres. And that's when people were already going out on the inters and doing good laps. So Gasly had gone out, had looked impressive before getting stuck behind someone. Hamilton, I think, had already put laps up, Brad. And and when you look at that equation, you go, all right, well, if you're 10 laps away and there's people who are three or four seconds 
faster a lap, you're you're going to lose loads of time waiting for that crossover. Yeah, but what's so silly about this is it doesn't matter because you can lose a load of time at Monaco, mm. and unlike basically every other track, this is why this is this is completely unique. Any other track, you would you would never be able to survive with that kind of tire offset deficit. You know, wets that are destroyed on a dry track. But at Monaco, you can. So it wouldn't matter that someone behind you was way faster on inters because when they get to you, they can't get through. And if that's the point they've reached you, you then both pit for slicks and you've retained track position. So that's why that's why this just didn't make any sense and why Ferrari have made a glaring error. Uh, not not just this one. We're about to talk about another one. Yeah, it, it was a double error. If they'd done the very standard tactical thing, covered off the Perez undercut by pitting Leclerc, who was in the lead, they would have um, they would have absolutely positively come away with Leclerc, I believe, winning the race. It's just a no-brainer. They didn't do that. And then they didn't keep him out either. And then they brought him in wrong again. I mean, it was just, it was a staggering display of, well, I hate to use the word incompetence. I feel like there was somewhere along the line, there was a comms failure that, that really badly affected them. And we'll never know what that is. Yeah, that was clearly a major mess up somewhere. I saw a tweet that I think just summed it up perfectly. And it was, Ferrari have such an uncanny ability to snatch defeat from the jaws oh, of victory. Yeah. And they, but it's so true because if they, it, there were so many ways that they could have won that. And it would have been, you know, it was, it was one of those ones where you think, oh, this is just absolutely written, isn't it? You know, mm. you've got Leclerc on pole, he's ready to go. He wants to rewrite history, all of that. And then it still didn't pay off. And there was so, like we've already mentioned there, so many opportunities for that to happen. Brad? Once they lost it with Leclerc, they still were on for the win with <laughs> no. Sainz, weren't they? Like, yeah. that was still a thing. They, if they'd have pitted after Red Bull for the slicks, Sainz then was in a position where he could have won. But his, his point was that he was held up on his outlap, which I don't, I don't think we saw. But regardless of that, had he been the one to stop after um, Perez, would mm. that not have won him the race? Or is the fact that he'd stayed on his wets mean that that actually couldn't happen? I'm a little bit unclear on that. Uh, that's actually, uh, that, that I think I'd have to go back and look at to be able to tell you, because he was on the wets, not on the enters like Perez. So he couldn't but just stay out in Williams that I think was Latifi, but I'm not sure because I couldn't identify the helmet. So hmm. sorry about that. Might have been Album, but it was Williams and they were side by side coming out of the pits. And then the Williams pulled ahead and stayed in front of Science through the entirety all the way until they got to the tunnel. And it just absolutely wrecked his outlap. So it's interesting that we're here uh, in, a, in, a, in a race review where uh, yeah, Sergio Perez has just won a Monaco Grand Prix gloriously. You know, not that I'm biased. And the first thing we're talking about really is how Ferrari lost it. And whilst I don't think it's entirely unfair to take that angle, the fact that it's bubbled to the front of all our minds is really telling. This isn't a one-off blunder from Ferrari. It isn't even... A, a particularly bad season from Ferrari. And as I said in the intro, when will, you know, Ferrari fans, Tafosi, I've had your back this season. I, I mean this in, in a loving way, I promise. I'm always harsher on the teams I'm gunning for, and I'm, I, I've been gunning for Ferrari this season. When are Ferrari fans and the team going to look at Ferrari's approach to races and say it isn't good enough? And it's not been good enough for many, many years 
But this season, they're right at the front fighting. So we're reminded of it again. It's been a bit shrouded by them being a little bit further back in the field. But we saw this with, with Vettel fighting as well, Matt. Something inherent in the way Ferrari approaches races seems to be confused, seems to be indecisive, seems to, as Alan say, says, always finding a way to just snatch that bad result from the jaws of a good result. And, you know, uh, we have made similar claims against Mercedes. What I do want to say... Well, hang on, wait, and, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's be clear. There's a, there's a difference. So Mercedes have been uh, given an easier ride by their overall core performance. So yeah. I, I don't want to say that, you know, Mercedes have, have got had quite the same tactical errors and and propensity to throwing things away that Ferrari have done. I mean, we can discuss that in a in a different news show, but I am not comparing those two directly. No, no, I just meant that in certain circumstances, we've made similar criticisms when Mercedes, we felt, has been out of their tactical or strategic wheelhouse. Sometimes they don't make choices that, in hindsight, look obvious. And, you know, hindsight yeah, yeah. is a lot easier. Yeah. So Mercedes, we, we, we've said that success has hidden some of the flaws in their strategic yeah. approach. But what I want to bring up, and, and and I think this is where it all really went wrong for, for Ferrari, when Perez pitted, which I think is a separate question, do you think they gave Perez the second driver strategy to pit him first for the enters, or do you think that was an option given to him? I didn't listen back to the radio. I don't know. But if somebody does, please, mm-hmm. you know, in the live chat, let us know. But Perez was the lead Red Bull driver, and Ferrari responded by asking signs to cover him off. But Perez was really racing Leclerc as the lead Red Bull driver. I think I think Ferrari were looking at the wrong driver. Verstappen had been slower pretty much across the entire weekend. Mm. And I think that's where it might have all really started to go wrong. Because if they'd have called Leclerc in, he probably would have just come in for enters and we'd have been treated to a way less entertaining race than we actually got. So you think they were using signs as a, a kind of a blocker to cover off Perez when really they, they might have had their... Uh, Brad? I was wondering what you guys thought of the, the final Leclerc um, pit stop where he, he got quite angry on the radio, where it was the kind of similar to Hamilton at Hockenheim a couple of years ago, the in, 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 out, 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 out. Yeah, it was that yeah, kind yeah. of um, box for hards. And then the moment he was in the pits, it was stay out, stay out, stay out. Was that because they, in that moment, realized we could just keep track position here and we're about to give it away. And it was just, the, it was just too late. They realized like one second too late. Uh, fun fact, they made that call as he was approaching the pit box with signs still in it. Like when I watched the the onboard back, they were telling him to stay out as he was halfway to his pit box. And he was definitely held up by signs. And when he came back on track, do you know what his deficit to Verstappen was? Under half a second. So yeah, I mean, just the wait for signs alone threw that position away. If he'd come in in order, he'd have been ahead of Verstappen. And there, they're looking at the wrong driver again. He's ahead of Verstappen. Just keep him ahead of Verstappen. And he gains points. That's all they had to do at that point was keep him ahead of Verstappen. And they somehow got that wrong too. Uh, yeah. And, and you're right. The reason we're talking about them getting stuff wrong, I think, Ellen, is because here and in Barcelona, Ferrari had the best overall packages and they've now the second race in a row is is gone for one reason or another yeah it's really hard they sort of so they made the call obviously way too late i thought it was as he was coming sort of up up, up towards 
being able to go into the pits. But if you're if you're saying Matt that it was already while he was in the pits, then that is just that's even worse. That's mm. just an awful mistake because there's no option there, is it? And you can just imagine when he's pulling in and he can see his teammates' cars already ahead and not ahead enough that he's leaving so they can be smooth about it. You've got to stay there. That yeah. that call, he was too early. The call was too late. And it just doesn't really make sense. You know, we're looking at it and we think, you know, I saw quite a lot of reactions being like, this is, you know, it's, it's hard because it was really good strategy from Red Bull, but it was also just so poor from Ferrari. So it's sort of, you know, you're, yeah. you're sort of distracted from how, you know, obviously you mentioned it a bit earlier, you know, that we are talking more about the Ferrari mistakes because that call was so, so poor. Yeah, and yeah, I guess it, it, it's it's uh, if you put it in that context, Leclerc's frustrations are sort of a little bit more understandable. If he They're was so already, valid. If he, he was already in the pits and he's getting told, no, 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 don't pit. I'm like, dudes, I'm I'm already here. No, I think I think either way, his response is so valid. I I I I can't see a way where he's not able to get emotional like that. Which in reality, I don't. I think he could have been a lot worse, to be fair, considering the circumstances. Because at that point, the race is gone. You know, he there's there's no way he can come back from that. They have lost him the race. Of course, he can be emotional. I, I just don't. I don't. Yeah, I, he's absolutely his opinions and his you know how he voiced them were absolutely valid there. One thing I love about races that go so late and leave almost no time for analysis is that you can be sitting here and suddenly things can occur to you. Like, what do you think, Ellen? Are the odds that the person who called for Leclerc to come in thought he was already past that pit exit when he issued the call? And then looked up and saw him coming around the corner. I mean, it's stuff mm. like that that goes wrong. Yeah. But then it's that's so bad because how can you be in that position as it's someone, the person making the calls, when you don't know where your team and where your driver is on the track? I, I, don't, said, yeah, go on. I was going to say, but don't they struggle a little bit at Monaco more than other tracks to know exactly where the drivers are? I, d- I don't know. Oh, okay. I, I don't think that's a very good excuse. Oh, okay. I, I said this exact same thing about Mercedes at, um, when we were at Miami, I think it was at Miami. And it's that you, you have a team of strategists. You've got people who are being paid loads of money who are supposed to have all of this covered. Like you've got layers of people to prevent stupid mistakes happening and like the obvious things um, going but falling by the wayside. And yet again, we're seeing a race where an armchair enthusiast yeah. could have called it better. Right. You know, just one one person sat watching their TV could have made a better decision than a team of well-paid strategists. Do you think that they're unprepared? Do you think that they didn't, you know, obviously they go through a ton of testing and since, you know, we've had time, they know that they are, you know, fighting for a championship here. Do you think that they're unprepared? Do you think that they weren't, maybe they just weren't expecting this? So they don't, they haven't brought in the personnel who are able to deal with a championship fight. It's, it's, we're being very harsh and I started it. But it, I, I think, Matt, what we were talking about, about when these flaws are exposed is quite key. So for them to suddenly find themselves up at the front, if they had had these strategic deficits in a, the last couple of years, it wouldn't have shown up. It wouldn't have been as important. Uh, Brad, I do want to move on from this. Yeah, I just wanted to point out one other thing. Uh, and that's the, you know, we've, we might have mentioned it earlier about science coming up with the the great call to say, you know, I think we yeah, should yeah. stay out until we're onto slicks. Why on earth is, is the driver able to make such a different decision that's, that the strategist didn't just spot? Like, surely that was obvious just looking at the TV pictures, seeing how the track was drying and, and understanding Monaco track position. It's like, it shouldn't be up to the driver to make that call. 
it shouldn't be up to the driver because the drivers have made mistakes. Look at what happened with Lando. You know, these mistakes, if you leave it to the driver, they can make mistakes. And we've seen that, like I say, when Lando threw away the the lead and the win. So I, I think it's difficult. That's why you need the staff to be like, this is how we're doing it. And then those those problems all show up because if they would have brought him in and said, no, you, you're going to have to come in, then then yeah. that would have shown up. If that was that was obviously wasn't the right call, then that would have been more clear. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't understand how it's come come down to that at all. So obviously being aware, we definitely are armchair strategists. And if you're a strategist strategist out there, or even if you just don't agree with our analysis of it, please feel free to get in touch with us. Feedback at missedapex.net. But we could. I think at this point, shift it to the Red Bull strategy, because as much as we're being very critical of of the Ferrari strategy, and, and this isn't a one-off, I promise, um, we do have to look at Red Bull now and look at Red Bull over the last several years, especially looking at Red Bull since their domination with Sebastian Vettel. And the one thread that they have always had is being proactive. And even, Matt, when they... Do you remember when it was Mercedes and Ferrari were the two teams battling out in, like, 17, 18? Red Bull still had a say in those championships and in those races by being proactive, by being the ones to go and change their strategy and mix it up. And and so often we saw them affect the whole field and start off crescendos of of pit stops. And this is is something that they've carried through, you know, for for the best part of a decade is just being incredibly proactive with their strategy. Yeah, and and proactive when they were behind. And much like the button tactic, it wasn't going to look that bad if it didn't go wrong, because at least they tried something. And they definitely tried something. It, I would not have, I would not have uh, put that strategy to my lead driver if I were a strategist. I, I would have put that strategy to my second driver if I were a strategist. And and that's why the Red Bull call for Perez really interests me. And I don't know the answer, but it worked and it worked a treat. Well, I think this is the thing you say about the lead driver. I, the whole race, I was waiting for some kind of strategy call that was going to put Perez behind Verstappen. The yep. thing is, even like to, if there was some strategy that took away the win for him, but put Verstappen one place further up, I was still waiting for that call to happen, especially with signs as the lead Ferrari instead of Leclerc. Ellen? I was just going to say, how much of a relief is it that that didn't happen? You know, we we say what we say about Red Bull and how that team is structured and how it is for Stappen at the helm. And actually, the fact that that didn't happen, I, like you, was waiting for exactly the same thing. Mm. It is such a relief, and I will come on to it later. It's kind of that belief that, you know, we've seen it before we've seen it this season you know when you have got cars that aren't finishing races you need to have both drivers yeah. up there and you know maybe people will argue he's not like a championship winning <sighs> driver but no i i but i'm, I'm not in that boat okay. i think that they believe that they need to make sure that they've got both their drivers up there they don't want to sacrifice anything especially at monaco where it's so hard to then get back up i think i i thought that was a very good call from from red bull brad so on this exact point, I um, I posted a poll on Twitter yesterday <laughs> asking which method will Red Bull <laughs> use to solve tomorrow's yeah. Perez problem? Um, obviously speaking to how they're going to move him out of the way. Um, and the three options were bad strategy, team orders, or a genuine overtake from Verstappen. Um, 6% of people went for genuine overtake and 52% of the over 2,000 voters said it would be a bad strategy deliberately from Red Bull. Yeah, so. well, that's really... that's. 
I have a lot of sympathy for that, Matt, because after Barcelona, with the, oh, you're on a different strategy, you, you can imagine, you know, if you were a Perez fan, I can only imagine, you would you would think that there was going to be some kind of pit-you-out-of-the-way type affair today. Yeah, well, can you imagine the relief down at Red Bull with Horner and Marco when Ferrari brought Leclerc in wrong and he came up behind Verstappen? Yeah, that made like, it a lot problem easier. problem solved. Yeah. We don't have to do anything else. Perez can win the race, we'll look like good guys, and we didn't have to do the ugly thing. Uh, yeah, so this is the other thing. As a, as a Perez fan, watching that race, I kept thinking, if Sainz doesn't hold off Verstappen, then they will have an opportunity to swap and just go, look, don't hold Max up, he's faster. Um, if you hold him up, he's under threat from Sainz now. So I was kind of cheering on Sainz's defence as much as anything. Because the thing is, Ellen, if, if Verstappen had got through... You could imagine the swap there. The team orders would have come. Yeah, but I, I, I now I feel sad because I was like, I'm just there, like, oh, genuinely, yeah, like, go on, Red Bull, you've redeemed yourself in my eyes. Um, I, uh, I, I, I'd like to think not, based off the fact that I think that they need to make sure that both cars have as many points as possible, because the reliability issues mm. at the start of the season. They need to make sure that if there is problems that they've got themselves as a constructor and as a team covered as well. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm, do you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to ignore <laughs> that you've said that and stay in my little happy world. Uh, no, right. Okay. I'm going to continue the conspiracy theory. <laughs> so no, I, I think if they could have chosen, had you're right. I think you're right, Matt. Had it been Leclerc in second place instead of signs and they could have waved a magic wand and put Perez third, they would have chosen a higher Verstappen point count over a higher total team count. I think that's very clear, Ellen. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, yeah, I, th- I think, I think yes, but I don't want to believe it. I, I think, yeah, that's the, the strategic thing to do in the long term. Maybe that is the, the better thing to do. That is the thing on paper. That Ellen, have I ruined but, your happy bubble where yeah, everyone's nice? I was really happy yeah. as well. Now I'm just going to have to become savage again and start tearing into the three of you. So, oh, okay. Well, Matt, before... you, you brought it upon yourself. Well, there. I, I, I retract my hand raised. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's mostly Matt's fault. Go on, Matt. Well, I think, I think the reality is Verstappen ahead of Leclerc at all cost is, is the Red Bull strategic um, prime directive at the moment. And and Ferrari worked that out for them. Mm. Um, how they would have managed it um, uh, with Perez, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. it didn't it didn't come up. It's not like anyone could really pass at that the track the, anyway. That's the thing, though, is it? That wasn't a that was an issue. Was they an were option. ahead of yeah. Leclerc, yeah. so that that sort of whole mentality does that change it a bit? That the the fact is, stay in front of Leclerc, and they were both in front of Leclerc. So does that mean? that maybe they would have given Perez a chance. So, look, Perez is only 15 points now behind Max Verstappen in the championship. And the reason he's managed to do that is because he really did win this race. So let's not take anything away from Sergio Perez. He looked strong all through practice and and qualifying. Matt? He did. Yeah, he looked strong he all weekend. succeeded with the Leclerc red flag maneuver okay. to stay ahead okay. of Verstappen. Okay, I knew this was going to come up. Okay, look, time makes hypocrites of us all, doesn't it? And I tweeted, like, just before qualifying <laughs> that any driver who pulls a Rosberg should basically be excluded from Q3. And I think, overall, Brad, I, st- I stand from that because we've seen far too many either accidental 
or or cheeky attempts at you know at maintaining your Q3 position. Not just in Monaco, we've seen we've blatantly seen Bottas do it as well at Mercedes. And and I've I've thought if you do that, if you cause any kind of flag in Q3, you just start tenth. You don't get a Q3 time. Oh, you mean Bottas's lawnmower? Yeah, that Austria, was the one. Wasn't yeah, 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 that was the one. Yeah, um, and I, I fully agree with you. Yeah, that should it's a no brainer. That, that should be a rule. It's a rule in other series. I think IndyCar in particular. If you if you cause the red flag, it doesn't matter why. If you have an engine failure, that that's still if you just make sure that driver their fastest lap doesn't count. You know their their result isn't going to stand. It just removes all doubt that the yeah. team or the driver are trying to manipulate things. And you know if it happens, then bad luck. But I that should be that should definitely be a rule. Mm. And I hope we see that in the future. I don't know if I'm getting that. You said so. You saying that it was sort of maybe a bit. Uh, no, no, because no. because is mm. that really when you look at last last season? Is that a wise thing to do when you look at the damage that was caused to no. the player's car? And then it's sort of like you know, are you putting yourself out of? So if you wanted to be like super conspiracy theorist, you could say and that's what I'm trying to figure out. If you if could we're, say if we're well, heading that way. Well, I, I don't think so. But you Good, could fine. say Perez was, you know, finally ahead of Verstappen in qualifying, which has been a big weakness of of Perez versus max if you like he's off the back of really feeling terrible about the barcelona team orders it's not beyond the pale to say a driver in that position would do anything to uh, to have a little bump to to block the track to to maintain a q3 lead that is not a crazy conspiracy theory we saw michael schumacher park it at raskas we saw nico rosberg blatantly deliberately stuff it uh, into a you know with the oh no I'm I'm locking up look at my steering wheel I can't help it now there's a yellow and then reverse back down the escape road to really make sure the yellows came out and like you said the Bottas lawnmower so it's not a crazy conspiracy theory to say that a driver would do that however even if it's accidental Brad you know they shouldn't benefit from that and and as, look as don't hate me Mexico but Perez massively benefited from his mistake in Q3 bringing out a red flag and arguably would he have won the race today without that? So you can also argue that given the current rule structure in that you know that you won't lose your fastest time if, if you cause the red flag, you can, you've bought yourself by having a good first run the yeah, right to yeah. push harder on the second run. Okay, true. Yeah. And I think that's probably more like what happened this time. I think Perez was just a little bit more caution to the wind um, you you could say Leclerc did that last year. Mm. I still think that was kind of a bit deliberate last year. But whatever whatever you think, they definitely weren't building in as much margin as they would have done had they known that if I stuff this and ruin everyone else's laps, my lap's also gone. Yeah. So it would just change the mindset slightly. Yes. So whatever, and I don't think Perez did that deliberately. Watching that incident again, it, it did just look like a genuine loss yeah, of control. Yeah, I agree, yeah. But he didn't lose control on the first run or any of the other runs in qualifying. Yeah, and so it just suggests that you're, had less to lose. you're allowing yeah. yourself to push harder because you've got less to lose. Yeah, because you know you're the one out front. Matt, well, this is where it all gets very, very interesting because if you'll recall, as I'm sure everybody does in Q3, they kept Perez out for a second run late when they'd already brought Verstappen in, and as a result, his tire prep for his lap where he looped it was inadequate. His tires weren't at the correct temperature. And Verstappen was well up on him. And Leclerc was well up on himself when the when the double waved yellows and then the red came out. So Perez 
was struggling with traction throughout that whole lap because his tires weren't properly prepared. So that's a very good reason why he might have lost it into that corner, which he said all week was one of the harder corners for him. Just whilst we're on people who had their laps ruined, I've heard conflicting reports on this and I don't know the answer, but Hamilton was denied the chance to do his mm. his real fresh tyre run. Yep, because that's correct. Although Russell did a representative lap on fresh tyres before the red flag, Hamilton either aborted or made a mistake on his first one. I think he was having and, warm-up problems. Right. Yeah. So I've had it I've had it told to me this I haven't seen the the lap time figures so this might be someone inaccurately representing this but I was told that Hamilton was actually not improving on his uh, lap that he okay. was on when the red flag came out. Now I don't know whether he had time to start another one or whether he was improving I've just been told okay. the wrong information but does anyone know that? No, I don't have that information to hand but what I would say is I don't want to give any prizes for could of laps you know we've been very harsh on Verstappen in the past and you say you know you've got to complete the whole lap so there's no way to really tell it's just more a case of if we're saying Leclerc and Verstappen were on improving laps when oh, yeah, okay, yeah. if Hamilton was as well I was also going to give him like some benefit of the okay. doubt well there were a number of drivers three or four of the top 10 who only had a single set of new softs to run on and most of them had put them on for that run that was um ended by Perez looping it. So um, I know Ocon, I think Hamilton, um, Verstappen was definitely improving. Leclerc was, had definitely improved if you looked at the sectors they'd run. Okay. And who else, who else was in there? Vettel maybe? Okay. Yeah. Well, look, if it sounds like I was taking anything away from Perez's victory there, I'm not trying to do that. Once the race starts, everyone's in those positions and he's won it from there. But... Uh, I did find it funny that as soon as I'd made that tweet, you know, one of the drivers I support instantly benefited from that. It's something I think I would still stand by. But Perez did look strong all weekend. He looks strong through practice. And I know I'd never really rate how people do throughout practice sessions. But, you know, it's encouraging to see him an upgrade behind with a heavier car turning up at a track and being able to do well and and seeing, you know, Verstappen struggle as well. I don't think it's the first time we've seen Perez have a weekend where the track and car suit him. And it seems to be the when the car is set up in a, an understeery way and can't get as pointed as Max wants, either Verstappen's superpowers can't be shown or, you know, Perez has got an understeery car that requires a more patient style where you set up and then carry speed through the corner uh, but this seemed to be one of those weekends in general so I'm, it's not like Perez has lucked into a win here no no the, the car in the car setup suited him more than it suited Verstappen I think they set it up to protect the fronts in particular and I think that just made it hard for Verstappen to drive because the car wasn't driving the way he likes it to drive and he was able to adapt a great deal and and they struggled with tire warm-up, too. They weren't able to get the tires to work through all the corners the way they wanted to. But overall, the characteristics inherent in their setup benefited Perez. And mm. he absolutely, you know, put it to Verstappen pretty much every session, I think, more or less. He looked stronger yeah. all weekend long, and he was clearly the faster driver on the Sunday. I'll, I'll counter myself in that Verstappen does have a similar trait to, to Hamilton in that he builds, he seems to build his pace yeah. throughout the weekend and, and often, you know, it really comes out in qualifying. But Perez also, you know, he, he did a, a mega outlap on the on the Inters, which allowed him to, 
to take the net lead. But there was um, there was one of his inlaps that was really vital as well that seemed to get missed. He only just came uh, you know came out of the pits in the first stop ahead of Russell. And had he got stuck behind Russell, that would have been a completely different story. The pit stop for Perez was something like 0.2 seconds. So it was like, a, I don't think the car even stopped in the Red Bull garage. But the team and driver, again, had to be perfect. This could easily have been a scenario where there was, you know, even a second or two delay and he's behind Russell and he's absolutely nowhere in this race. And that's the kind of margins we're talking about, I think, this season in particular. Yeah, I would agree. And again, it just... I, I I sound like a broken clock here, but it really does make mm-hmm. me wonder, did they go to Perez and say, it's your choice. You can come in for enters or stay out on the wets. Tell us what you want to do. Or did they just go to Perez? We're bringing you in for enters to under, undercut the leader. And he's like, sure, sure thing, boss. Let's go. I, I, I'm just, I'm baffled. Why would you bring in someone when the margin was that tight? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And it, and it was. So this is what I'm saying. This win was was far from guaranteed. There was a lot yeah. of factors that were all playing. And I think Perez did have to be in the race pretty much perfect up to the red flag to be able to put himself in that position. And I would say, too, at the end of the day, he owes this entire victory to Carlos Sainz, who's arguing with Ferrari, cost potentially Leclerc <laughs> a place. And I'm, I'm just going to say this. At the end of the race, which was super exciting, and I hope we talk about it in a minute, there was a couple of times I thought Sainz could absolutely positively have launched it uh, on Perez. Okay. And I think I think in his championship winning brain, he's like, I could do that, but I don't know, Brad. <laughs> I would be handing for a stop and a win, and I'm smart enough not to do that. Brad, let's talk about the racing around here at Monaco. Even with a drying track, somewhat difficult conditions, tires that may be being held onto longer than they'd have wanted to because there was no point pitting a, a two-stop strategy after the red flag. Was racing possible after the red flag? I personally didn't see any time where where there was a real move on. Yeah. I watched, obviously, you had the, the Hamilton Ocon and Hamilton Alonso, and and then obviously you had the, the four-way fight at the end. I never really saw at any point where a move was was on. Uh, apart from, I do think Hamilton had a legitimate chance against Ocon when Ocon just turned in on him um, uh, at turn one. But really, uh, apart from when there was a, uh, before the red flag, when there was yeah. a big tyre offset, like with Gasly, um, where he was able to just drive down the inside of, of Ricardo in quite an unusual place, I don't think during any of the post-red flag racing, there was nah. a chance where the cars wouldn't have just clattered together. Because it's not just a case of knowing that there's enough room for your car to fit through the gap. It then has to also still be able to navigate the corner. And these, these cars have massively wide front wings. The cars are obviously giant anyway. And they've got really poor amounts of steering lock, really, really bad turning circle. They're really long. So just because your car fits through a gap doesn't mean it can then continue around the corner, especially not without clipping the other car and having a clumsy accident. So I just didn't see a, a real chance. I did feel a little bit, Matt, like a lot of the, the drama and tension towards the end of the race was, was a little bit manufactured and the commentators did a great job in on the, the, the stream I saw of like building up, like, is it going to happen? But, you know, we've seen, we've seen, I mean, we saw Alonso go three seconds a lap slower and hold off Hamilton and the rest of the pack. So maybe there wasn't as much danger as, as uh, you know, there might have appeared to be. Well, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Perez tires did go through a graining phrase phase. And I think it's pretty clear that there was points 
in the last 10 minutes where Sainz was literally nosed to gearbox with Perez. And there was one or two times coming down the hill or going into Mirabeau or headed into the hairpin where a more rash driver might have just willed himself to think he could have driven into that gap and won the whole race. Or anyone, I think you can flip that on its head as well and say anyone driving the car that's ahead who isn't Perez, and we know Perez is so good at handling tyres and will take them to the end, even if they're basically falling off the car. I think his handling of the tyres and the way he managed that is is probably a big bit of it as well, because he could he knew that he can get the car the the tires and the car over the line, and I think you know yeah, Science could have maybe thrown it, but I think you can flip that. I think you can flip that both ways. Yeah, there was there was one point where Perez was like three and a half seconds ahead, and then it very quickly mm. went down. I don't think his tires went off a cliff. I think he just suddenly went. I can't push anymore. I, I need to do like a Ricardo block the road type tactic. I just don't think even if there was a clear chance down the inside into the hairpin or in several other places, I just don't think the cars can physically get round the corner. We've seen we've seen smaller cars in previous generations of Formula One not be able to yeah. make that move. You know, they go down the inside, even if they use the full curb on the inside, they just run out of room and they just drive clumsily into the car on the outside or even straight into the wall. So I just don't think with this generation of car I, I had zero hope that a move was going to happen to the point where, although I did pay attention to it, I was at this point, I was leaving the ice rink because I was thinking (laughs) I might as well start going home now because it's kind of all settled at this point. So I think, I think we would have been very lucky to have seen anything different. However, just whilst we're on the point of, of overtaking and, and, and how it is maybe sometimes possible to pass at Monaco, I feel like we were potentially robbed of one of the greatest Monaco races ever by the fact we had this start delay, when you have a look at the tire, yeah. the tire decisions that the grid had made before the race was then delayed, because that is when you can overtake at Monaco, when you've got some people on inters, some on slicks, some on wets and changeable weather. And that is where I wanted to go next. The question is, will we ever have a, another fully wet race in Formula One? But we do have to say, look, Sergio Perez won this race. Sergio Perez is in the title hunt. He's only 15 points behind the championship leader. That's a nada malciendo el segundo piloto. What would have been maybe funnier is if I tried to say that Spanish phrase in an Australian accent. That would have been even more on point, wouldn't it? A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ellen, will we ever have another fully wet race in F1 again? That start delay. Oh, I, I, I can't get my head around it at all. I, I really can't because when you've got the cars and the drivers, that I can maybe, maybe because it's Monaco, part of me thinks, is it because... It is. It would just maybe cause a bit of havoc, and the chance of a pile-up is very, very high. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't see that being a, a strategy or something they can fall back and use anywhere else. I, I it's like, what's what's yeah. the point? You've got these high downforce cars. You've got tires and drivers that are ready to go. So what what are you what are we doing waiting for half an hour? I. I I, I, the only thing that makes me think, uh maybe is a bit of saving grace for them. Is is it's Monaco and it will probably go very yeah, badly, very quickly. Yeah, with the barriers yeah, very close. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, you know, you see you see the cars, you know, just obviously the way Monaco is, There's, it looks like it could go that way at any point, let yeah. alone if it's absolutely chucking it down. I can't see that happening at any other track. See, this is the thing, Brad. You know, you've got high downforce, you've got full wet weather tyres, you've got 18 of the best drivers on the planet. Surely we can just go racing. Well, I think... The answer here may lie in something that we we didn't know at the time, if the post-race coverage was anything to go by. They were having power cuts because of the weather, and I think it was Crofty on the coverage mentioned that the reason it was delayed may have been because the start lights weren't working. It may not have been an abundance of caution because of the, the wet surface. Surely that's something you can relay super quickly. So I obviously was watching a similar feed to to the two mm. here in, who are in the UK and when the so I think it was during the red flag when the cut happened and they lost the feed and they were like oh we've lost the feed mm. they conveyed that like that I just think if that was what was happening surely that's something you can get across super super quickly and react so to. I wonder if it I was... don't really understand I don't really know how yeah. that then requires so long with no communication because that's the thing no communication I wonder if that was island wide because Sean Kelly F1 Statman who's uh graces the shed every now and then said that <laughs> Well, he said, I have no sympathy. He said he lost the feed on his yacht or whatever yacht he was on or something. So perhaps it was like an island-wide, uh, a, a, a location-wide thing, Brad. And and to carry on the Sean Kelly theme, whatever whatever the reason, we were robbed of an mm. entire choice that Sean Kelly has tweeted here, which was that the top four had selected medium slicks. And then you had behind them Norris and Russell on inters, you then had Alonso on the hards, Hamilton and Vettel also on inters, and then three slick tyre shog cars behind that. So a massive mixture of of tyre choices had the race just started on time. Yeah, okay. So look, I've, I've been the one here to beat the drum for, for safety. I never want any unnecessary danger. And when you look at Spa, where in the wet, we know how, how deadly spa can be even in the dry especially at, at radion up at up the top of the hill going down towards lacombe but monaco's relatively slow speed it can look dramatic but i think alan maybe this is was a race where you go okay maybe yeah a bit of broken carbon fiber isn't the worst thing in the world let's let's go racing so yeah i absolutely get that point maybe it's not the most dangerous if they do but can you think the size of the pileup is bigger because the the margins between the cars are a lot smaller? So then you've got the fact mm. then you've got twenty cars that are all backed up, maybe four or five all jumbled together. 
and then it's like well you look at what you look at what happened um you know in the 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 big crash you know that's that's the damage that can happen it wasn't a particularly high speed crash but the damage was still there so one has Oh yeah. my goodness! That I saw the TV pictures of the Haas in the barrier. I thought that was two Haas cars. I had missed for whatever reason the fact oh, that, Mag- yeah. that I didn't know Magnussen was out, and so I saw two the rear end of one Haas and the front of of the other Haas. I thought, oh, the Haas have, have crashed together. Then they cut straight to Magnussen looking on, going, "Oh, that's bad. But what's going on here? The car is yeah, split absolutely. in half, Ellen." Yeah, and uh, you know that's exactly what it's supposed to do now. After everything uh, that we said, you know, the, right. so the gearbox is supposed to become easily detachable. So oh, okay. then we don't have so well it would so easily detachable. So you don't have the 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 Grosjean problems of that yeah. Grosjean, yeah. But then also, so that should have prevented there being a red flag, even though then the barrier needed mm. repairing and all of that. But yeah, when you look at what the the damage that then the drivers were going past, and they mentioned on the feed that pretty much everyone was asking because it looked like a horrendous you crash did, yeah. they, were, they were asking if Schumacher was okay and in the fact that he just got up and walked out of that when you looked at how mm. damaged the car was is a bit insane but yeah I, I I just think regardless of how dangerous it is I think then the repercussions of red flagging it clearing the track in the rain as well clearing the track in dry conditions is is hard enough clearing it in the rain and then going again I just think time-wise it's not maybe not viable. I still don't think we should be second guessing the weather and preemptively red flagging things because we've seen how often the forecast is wrong or, no, or yeah, not quite loads, accurate. Yeah. We you should just go with the conditions that you currently have. If it's dry enough to start, start the race. If it happens to rain during the the first stint or whatever and it's red flagged, then people who have made decisions based on a better prediction or on better foresight are going to be rewarded and that that's how it should be it shouldn't be race control making the decision when something hasn't happened because then you're at the behest of someone's opinion Mm. and it should it should just be fair you know people who had made the right tire decisions all the cars that, that had chosen inters would have had a giant benefit had the rain begun to fall harder at the start of that race and and that was that would have been something they'd done on on merit you know as a team they would have made a better decision so it, I don't like it that they they postponed and then we have the problem that once it does start raining, we know we're in for a longer delay because mm. if the cars were circulating, the rain, the water's being cleared and the moment they're, they're stationary in the, on the grid, that's not happening. So that's that's my opinion. Get on with it. No, I absolutely agree with everything you've said there, Brad. Um, and the point on second guessing the weather, they couldn't second guess the weather because at one point there was a massive gap in the radar, wasn't there? They were saying that they couldn't actually see when the rain was. There's just this black spot and they had no clue what was going to happen in that black spot. So it's like, you know, just sort of, you know, you can choose to get on with it or you can trust weather forecasts, which we've seen before, aren't, aren't particularly reliable. Mm. I think F1 is going through a change in how it views wet weather conditions. There is absolutely no doubt that 20, 30 years ago, they would have just gone for it. And if forecasts finished the race, forecasts finished the race. We, we've definitely, you know, we've definitely seen that. And we've seen how many cars... 1998 at Spa, involved in that first turn incident. Was it 14 cars in the end that couldn't carry on? And obviously there was T cars back then. But clearly F1 is going through a change of attitude and change of approach to how it deals with with wet weather. There's clearly a amount of rain that is, is that could just about be handled or is in the design parameter of the full wet tyre mat. But they don't want to. 
And I can see why they don't want to. There's been a lot of hurt around wet weather conditions in Formula One. And, you know, Jules Bianchi still weighing heavily on, on people's minds, of course. So is it more about expectation? There was people like Damon Hill tweeting, just get on with it, just race. Whereas race control was thinking safety. I think one of the things cited was that they had not done any wet running. They weren't set up for for wet conditions. So they gave them a little bit of extra time to set up for wet conditions. But Alan, maybe it should just be a, like cricket. And we just accept, you know, we don't go racing when it's, when it's heavy rain. That's just part of the sport. I was going to pick up on that point about they hadn't had... Wet, uh, wet, they hadn't had a chance yeah. to practice or do any wet runs um wasn't there a bit where there was possibly on the radio Leclerc had said if their delay was long enough could someone bring in a, him an iPad so he could look at wet laps <laughs> yeah I love that you know they, so they weren't you know if that if that's the point then clearly the drivers weren't ready because if Leclerc sat in his car mm. going oh can someone just grab me some footage so I can have a look then maybe maybe they're not ready but it is a tricky one I'd argue that maybe it isn't even like 20, 30 years, because this is maybe conditions that we'd go racing in 510. You know, they wouldn't, yeah, it, it wouldn't, I think it would have delayed, maybe they would have called it later, but I don't think it's conditions that you wouldn't have started a race under. I think if we're making decisions based on drivers not being prepared enough for the rain, you know, because they haven't had enough wet running or whatever, a couple of drivers weren't prepared for the rain even after they'd had a bit of wet oh running. Oh my goodness, right. So Spanners, Spanners oh, tweeted don't. a jokey tweet about <laughs> how... There, there's 18 of the world's best drivers here, which mm. was obviously a pointed reference towards a couple of them not being the best drivers. Yeah, and I was, and, I was look, full disclosure, I was, the joke was about Latifi and Stroll. And, and then, immediately <laughs> Latifi and Stroll crash behind the safety yeah, pin, which was brilliant. I know, it worked out like that. I, I and then didn't... also nearly crash in the pits as well. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. There was ne- Stroll nearly got that wasn't Stroll's fault though. He nearly got released out into um, into yeah, one of the other pitting traffic, cars. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I think yeah, there's a disconnect, Matt, isn't there, between expectations from from older fans and from what race control are, are considering to be safe now. Yeah, and we're blaming entirely all of this on race control. And I, I want to say that, well, I mean, there were rivers running through the pit lane. I, I have less of a problem sort of with the red flagging of it when during the heaviest of the weather. But let's keep in mind, what did we hear so much from Horner and Bonato and from Wolf? Cost cap. How much pressure are, is race control maybe considering? Well, if we, we sure, let him race. Standing start. And, and 19 cars crash and it costs a million dollars per car for teams that are already struggling with the cost cap. I mean, there might be less pushback from the actual teams because it's potentially saving them a lot of money to not run in that kind of weather. This is exactly what I'm saying. It might not be the most dangerous as in injury wise, but potentially financially, if you've got a risk of pretty much every car, you know, getting involved in a situation or a scuffle of some sort, because when you look at the spray and the mist as well, it was crazy when they were doing the formation lap. So it's sort of, you know, the, the financial definitely will be there. And I think that's probably the risk of it more than actually the, the risk to the drivers. But this is because they waited. If they just started at the right time, it wasn't raining very no, much. No, no, yeah. They, they delayed it either because the electronics weren't working or if that is the case or what we think is probably more likely because they could see rain was on the way so it was the it was the fact that they could have just started on time that i'd take issue with 
because why, why would they not? I don't understand why they wouldn't start on time if it wasn't raining, which is maybe why I'm thinking maybe there was electrical problems, yeah. but it's, then it's the communication of that because when have we stopped to race because, oh, there might be rain on the way or not, so start, not even that, started. Sorry, I thought you were finished with your point there, Ellen. A bit of that is a bit of that is the fact that the regulations, once a race is declared wet, puts the start back by about 10 minutes so the t- teams can change tires and set up for the wet. So some of that delay is in the regulations. In that case, that's fair enough because that wasn't, I don't think that was really communicated. So the fact that some teams were starting to opt for wets and it was drizzling and the track was getting damp but was completely drivable, that then meant the race control would have had to declare it wet because okay. it was actually wet. And therefore, they have to, by regulation, delay it by 10 minutes. Okay. Is that what, you, is that what you're saying? Yeah, the admin of rain is starting to... I'm not, I'm not overly thrilled. F1, just be honest. If we're never racing in full rain again, just let us know. Brad, it wasn't important here, but what do you think about leaving the track and gaining an advantage in the Nouveau Chicane at the end of the... So through the tunnel, and then there's that left-right. We saw a couple of times, we saw Zoo had, had the wonderful little lock-up where he said he needed to change his race suit, um, trying to take a dive down the inside. That has been an overtaking place in the past. We didn't really see it today. Um, but, you know, what if Perez had, had locked up and just gone on straight, like Leclerc did or Sainz did, I think, in front of Verstappen? When do you have to give that place back? I think if you were in imminent danger of losing the position, had you been forced to to drive through the corner correctly, then you should give the place back. You know, so say someone is in the process of overtaking you, they're making a, a move on you, and you then bail out and cut straight across and prevent that move from finishing. In that case, you should probably give it back. I think in the science um, example. He was quite a distance in front of Verstappen. There was no move ongoing. Mm, yeah. And and he, you know, messed up, went straight across. And as long as you then lose enough time that it's back to status quo, nothing has nothing has really changed. You haven't benefited apart from the fact that you've benefit you've benefited from getting away with not driving as well as you should have done. And so if it happens repeatedly, there's a point where I think if you I don't know what the actual rule is on this at Monaco, but if you did that say three times, I think at that point, regardless of how close the car behind is, you should be getting a penalty, which is dropping you behind them. Because if you're able to drive carelessly enough mm. that you're you're getting out of jail free by cutting across that corner, you're you're potentially gaining an illegitimate time that the car behind isn't benefiting from. You're not having to do one of the corners. You're getting away with just not being as good on the brakes into there. So the point at which you have to give the position back, I think, is deemed when there's a move imminently happening. Yeah, I think after three, you get a black and white flag, which I know is your favorite penalty, Brad. And then after that, actual penalties can be applied. And Russell got that flag, didn't he? So Russell must and have Alban, done that. I think. That. I think it was uh, Alban and Russell both got that. So yeah, they'd been through three times and then had the warning. Yeah, okay. So I know it didn't really kind of matter today, but the whole time I was thinking, especially after Verstappen's comments about signs, he's mostly just like playing to the to the ref you know it's just that kind of thing like look he's gained an advantage there was you know there was no realistic move happening there but for the last 10-15 minutes all I could think was the second Paris locks the fronts and goes into that chicane the controversy is going to kick off and people you know in the fan space and, and on this panel would be saying should he have given up that place and I think the answer is 
know unless there was a specific overtaking maneuver happening at that time brad yeah i think that's i think that's about it it's it's a tricky one and it's tricky for people to judge because i think there's a lot of subjectivity in that particular corner and assessment of if a mm. move was on because you could argue that well if he'd been if he'd gone in it say say even the example where Sainz outbreaks himself when he had a gap to verstappen behind if Sainz had been forced to make the corner maybe verstappen would have been able to overtake him on the exit because Sainz would have been so compromised by having to stay on track yeah so you can even argue it that far but i think given the precedent the drivers are driving to a certain precedent there they know what they can kind of get away with and what they can't and, and given that i think everything was all all fair today okay good well look even though there was a there was a lot of drama when we look at actual you know talking points it was still a very monaco-esque race especially after the red flag so i think the um you know we have to go to our, our resident monaco apologist here and and ask ellen do you think that this race has made a difference in in Monaco's general future on the F1 calendar? Because as far as I'm concerned still, I don't think we should have a track that relies on damp conditions and only a tiny window of damp conditions, not too wet, not too dry. I still don't think it has a place in the modern F1 calendar. No, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> That's just not going to answer your question. That's then, not I? how we normally do <laughs> things here. You, you have... absolutely set me up there. Um, yeah, no, I, I've mentioned it before. I absolutely think today went as well as it could have done for anyone involved in the negotiations of making sure that track stays in the calendar. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, would have loved to see Leclerc win, and I think that that would have been. I think that's probably like would have been the second best From thing a PR to have come point out of it. View, yeah. but, well, this is the thing. Yeah. How much of this at the minute is PR point of view? And if you had that and you had the headlines, it's on the back papers all throughout, you know, Monaco, France, beyond tomorrow. I think that's that would have been a great selling point. But in the longer term, is it a reason to keep it? Probably not, just because you've got the first monogas driver in what was it when was the last time was it 1931 i think was the last time a monogas driver won in monaco so yeah that's a huge part of history um but i don't think that's personally i don't think that's the correct reason to keep it i think you keep it because of what it means and the the you know the event that it is and the the magic and the feeling that's there and i think today proved that you can have the racing as well and so yeah i think today probably went as good as it could have done from that point of view and I think it was really interesting because listening to the coverage, no one on the coverage was anti, in the UK, was anti-Monaco. It was all very, how disappointing would be it be if we lose this, which I thought was very interesting. And I would be, after today, very, very, very surprised if we lose it from the calendar. Mm. I would have been surprised anyway, because I don't think that it's feasible and I don't, I don't think you can have from my point of view, F1 without Monaco. I, I think I think Monaco's PR is the only thing better than Monaco's PR of saying, oh, it's the jewel in the crown, is dolphins blaming orcas on whales by calling them killer whales. The PR from dolphins has been on point for that. And Monaco's, oh, but it's so special. It's tradition. We have to go to a track where, where nothing happens unless it's wet. But, has, has been an, else... It's been amazing PR. And yeah, but also you look at, we spoke about it already, you know, when we're talking earlier about the timings it takes to get in and out of the pits and the small, very, very small margins that you have anyway in F1, they're even smaller at Monaco. Where else do you get that type of driving? I would hate nothing more than to watch X amount of races a season on a very similar track. You can't even look at Baku next week or next race and be like, oh, just because it's a street. So like, it's not the same. 
And I just, I, I can't see, I genuinely do not see F1 without Monaco. And yeah, that might be for some of the wrong reasons. I'm absolutely, I can see the wrong reasons are there, but that doesn't stop me wanting it there because it is a different race. It's a spectacle. You know, there are some, there's every sport has something that you think, oh yeah, maybe it's not like the most exciting thing, but it's there because it's tradition. And I, I don't, I don't see why we should lose that. And I do think that the racing and the different strategy and tactics are there to back it up. Uh, let's see, Matt, then Brad. While I love your unbridled idealism, and I agree, it's fun to watch yeah. a race where essentially the result is almost always on the Saturday and qualifying, which is a different thing. If you think this is about anything other than money, then I think you're wrong. Uh, Brad. So apart from the fact that I've grown up watching this race here and I've got fond memories of, of watching Monaco Grand Prix with, with my granddad and, and, and it's kind of always been a staple. It's bonkers. I, I, I want it on the calendar because it's crazy. It's formula one should have bizarre, different tracks. We've got Monza, which is just all flat out crazy, low downforce, high speed. And you've got normal tracks. You've got Silverstones and Hungara rings and, and tracks like that. And you've got Monaco, which is, just this crazy little look look how weird the cars look going around there next to those walls so fast elevation change bumps different widths of track water right next to it and then on top of that you've got the celebrity and the glamour and all of like the the pr around the event i just love that it's so different in rallying you rally on snow on dust on mud on tarmac and everything in between in IndyCar, you race on ovals, street tracks, and normal road courses. And in Formula One, you have crazy, weird, and wonderful places around the world. And one of them is Monaco. And I'm fine with there being one race you a know, year. Do you know this what? This is just about qualifying. I feel, I feel like I'm being gaslit by, by Brad and Ellen here. This is, like no, you've got, this, is, this is like you've got a rubbish dad, right? He's working all the time. He never plays catch with you when you want. And then like every now and then, like he comes home with a guilt present. And you're like, oh, he's such a good dad. He got me this this globe from the airport. The Monaco Grand Prix here basically gave you a little bit of wet running, some excitement around some pit stops, and then delivered a very Monaco-esque race for the two-thirds. This is an abusive relationship with the Monaco Grand Prix and F1 fans, and you're just you've, your expectations are so low that any little nugget you've taken as love, Ellen. That's what you've done. No, when 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 have I said genuinely re- rewind this, put it back in again? When did I say that? Also, tell me, Matt. And this is I, I, this. I don't know if this will make the cut in the pod. I'm going to go in. What? Go tell it. me a race in the calendar that is not reliant on money, please. Oh yeah. Oh no, they're all reliant no, exactly. on money. So Monica- your main argument cannot be that it's money. There's talk. Talk to us about racing in the Middle East. Talk to us about racing in places that where we. Talks about racing in Sochi. Talk us about racing any, literally anywhere. Yeah, if you can't, that's what if I'm you saying. Can't, yeah, All yeah, those yeah. races pay lots of money to Formula One for Formula One to go there. Monaco pays nothing, and they put up Formula One's advertisers' opponents, uh, and and that's what this is about. It's about Formula One wants a cut of the money the principality's been keeping all for itself. Ellen, <sighs> yell at Matt again. I like the bit where you yelled at Matt. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm, I'm just saying like, and fair, yeah, you know, I get that. And I get why they're going into negotiations and those negotiations. This is why that is happening. I absolutely understand that. I just think when you look at the sport and you can't single out Monaco for being mm. a destination 
where there is money when the whole sport and the history of the sport is based on money. I think if we're if you're going to get over the you can't pick and choose when you accept that. So just to counter Spanners, I wasn't referencing today's race at all okay. in my defense of Monaco. I'd be quite happy if the vast majority of races were totally boring. I don't think they are. I think we get some interest in action, even if it is a dry, normal, plain race at Monaco. But aside from that, if we're going to keep it, my one stipulation would be that, can we just have like the professional video crew cover the event <laughs> rather than the kind of bandit once a year guys that are just doing it for a laugh because Monaco wants to portray itself in a particular way and they don't want certain buildings filmed and stuff like because we can probably all agree quite a lot of the TV direction was yep a bit a bit random Weird, this yeah. weekend yeah Matt yeah well, I I just wanted to reply briefly that I feel like my argument here has been misunderstood the argument isn't that Monaco is about money because it's about money and glitz and glamour always has been it's about Monaco keeping all of that and giving none of it to Formula One. And if they don't share, Formula One will absolutely walk away from them. That's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, and that's so I absolutely agree with that. I think that that's I think Aww. that should be principle. I no no, but it's the problem. The thing was no, but the comment Matt made was yeah. Matt just went money. Yeah, Matt does that. He does like so, a one. And words. there is so much <laughs> in money that happens at Monaco that isn't just them keeping all isn't just the principality keeping all the money i absolutely think f1 should get the cut but i I, my anger came from the fact that we shouldn't just be picking and choosing when we ignore the importance Mm -hmm. and the role of money i think the fact is it's not special enough anymore that it can get away with not paying hosting fees when you've got tracks around the world clamoring to host grand prix now now formula one is crazy popular I was at this ice rink today listening to ice skating performers talking about, oh, have you seen what's happening in the Grand Prix yet? That would have never mm-hmm. happened in the past. It's It's gone fully mainstream, so Monaco can't get away with with pretending it's yeah. it, that much more special uh, than uh, the other And races. I think that's that's my argument as well, is that there's this weird, we are, we are special in some way, which I just don't get. And that could be because I, I don't really, I, I don't really follow, traditions don't hit me in the feels. I often feel like traditions are used to make people accept rubbish things that have just always happened that advantage certain people. That's that's what traditions often are. So, no, it, tradition isn't enough for me. You need to justify your place on the calendar. Are there any, speaking of justifying your place, are there any Ricardo fans on the panel? Any declared Ricardo? Oh, that's interesting. I thought, see, we all assume Ricardo's wildly popular. Ellen, are you, are you on the fence? Well, I would just say, I just, I'm, I'm of that TikTok era, aren't I? And of course you just, are. Yeah. It's just very, you know, it's, it's, I, I think that that's where maybe my sympathy comes from. And obviously like, you know, seeing the journey and, you know, seeing the big moments, Monaco, Monza, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and those sort of showpiece yeah. times where he showed up. I wouldn't say I'm a diehard you know, Ricardo fan. I, I, but I am genuinely upset by this. Is everything. this is my this question? Is, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. You know, I, I feel for him. I feel for the situation. Well, I don't. I just. I'm not happy by the situation <laughs> that he's in. It does make me feel a little bit sad because I'm. You know, we've seen where he can be in that potential, and it's obviously something is going very badly wrong between him and McLaren. Something has changed with Ricardo, and I don't know whether it's been. I don't know whether it happened quite a long time ago or whether it's just more recently, but 
I know he had a pretty decent year against Sainz at Renault, but I think this starts all the way back when Verstappen effectively scared him away from Red Bull. So you're in a prime team. You've got no reason in terms of performance to leave the team, except really that you've got a hotshot young teammate who is a bit too much of a handful for you. And so, so he left, I think, probably because of that, in a similar way to Vettel leaving because of Ricardo, And it's never really been the same since. He'd built up this this real kind of um, mythos about his style and who he mm. was and, and how much of a top-line driver he was. And he was winning races and doing well. But Verstappen kind of took the shine off that a little bit. And then ever since, I, I ne- I've never seen the same Ricardo. And I think the, the couple of seasons with Norris have just really battered him into the ground. And I don't see a way back unless... Unless the car suddenly starts suiting him, and I don't see it turning around mm. like that, I think whatever has changed in the style of cars over the last few years just doesn't suit the way um, Ricardo has has grown up learning to drive. It just doesn't get the best out of him, and I think he'd be better off quietly moving away from Formula One because he's not going to find another top line seat and going and winning, you know, getting his confidence back in IndyCar or World Endurance Championship. I find it interesting that you've brought up the move to Renault from Red Bull, because for me, like I liked him actively at Red Bull against Verstappen. I thought that was fantastic. But when he moved to Renault for the money, admittedly, that was when the shine started to come off. But the point I want to bring up that I find very interesting is that one of his strongest attributes as a driver has always been his braking and particularly his late braking. And I think the McLaren really is ill-suited to being driven that way. And what's interesting is, I mean, he won a race last year. It's yeah. not like he's, it's not like he can't drive a car and win a race. No, I don't he think anyone's do saying that. Yeah. But somehow with the change in regulations, uh, I think the, between the understeering and the stiffness and how much harder the braking is, everything that made him special isn't there right now thing is though brad whenever whenever i've talked to you about a racing series if we've gone karting or done any sim race or you've had to jump into a series last minute which you know you 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 do as a as a as a as a freelance driver you've said to me the biggest strength of the a top driver and these are you know the best 18 drivers you know on on earth you know apparently you said to me always the biggest strength is well you just adapt i've said to you brad what's your driving style and you've said well the one that gets me the fastest lap time you can't yeah. doggedly stick to one style. But I think there, there will always be a baseline style, which you can then, you can kind of mold around the edges. And it's difficult to describe, but, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, it'll depend on the categories you grew up racing, yeah. um, how the teams you were driving within those categories happen to run their cars. There, there will be some kind of experience that has molded the way you drive. And even if you end up at a pretty similar end product with all of those 18 top drivers, um, there's going to be something, there'll be some kind of under underpinning, um, some sense that you're looking for, some yeah. kind of information from the vehicle that you still need. And as some drivers just, I mean, it's not like he's super slow. It's not like he can't drive the car around the track, but when up against someone who is completely gelling, when up against someone who is, like like Norris or, or Verstappen when he was um, with him at Red Bull, someone who is really in tune with what that vehicle needs to get the best out of it, then you're going to be left three, four, five tenths lacking. 
which in isolation, you wouldn't notice. If he didn't have that teammate that was finding it easier, you wouldn't notice that. But it shines a spotlight on it and it shows him up because of that. And I just wanted to mention, you said he won a race last year. It was an mm. anomaly, really. And it was mainly straight. And Norris was quicker even at that race yeah. and was told not to pass him. I actually think Norris would have passed him if he'd been allowed. Fair enough. But we are, I think, as you admit, talking like tenths and hundredths of a percent here. We're not talking massive loss. But what it makes me really think of, um, and talking about drivers and adaptation, is, is that period of time when Pirelli introduced the new tires and Weber suddenly was beating the pants off of Vettel at Red Bull in, uh, was it 2011 or 2013? Weber went through about five or six races. Yeah. And Vettel was nowhere because the tires took away the advantage yes, of the blown diffuser. Yeah. yeah. And so drivers do get trapped by the characteristics they're best at. And some of them can adapt better than others. But at the end of the day, I I hear what you're saying, Brad. It's it's a thing where they can adapt so far, but then that last tenth of a percent, somebody else might have. But but this season, I mean, this race in particular, but this season in particular, what we're doing is we're, we're losing a reference point for Lando Norris. So I think we no longer really know how well Lando Norris is doing and the potential of that car because he doesn't seem to have a benchmark that he can compare himself to, which is sad. He's a very popular driver. Um, Zach Brown even came out on an interview for Sky, I think, and said, look, he's not, he's not, he's been disappointing. We've not got the driver that we thought we were going to get. And I'm I'm paraphrasing. So I think this needs to to turn around quickly. Um, He seemed to react well to those comments. But at the moment, sorry, Ricardo fans, it is not looking good. But what was looking good was we did have at least an entertaining Monaco Grand Prix. And we can't say that every year. We couldn't say we have an entertaining Barcelona Grand Prix every year as well. So do you know what? I'm going to take it. I'm not going to complain. Uh, and uh, and certainly with a result that I think is popular amongst certain elements of F1 fandom, I will definitely, I will take my Monaco Grand Prix in a taco, please, on this occasion. Did we mention Sergio Perez won the Monaco Grand Prix? Did I mention that he is now only 15 points off the championship lead. Is Sergio Perez a genuine title contender? I think we are going to find out over the next few races. I think we're even going to find out what Red Bull's real attitude towards Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen is. And I said in a tweet which was much uh, liked and also disagreed with that I believe the top teams, and I'll include Mercedes in this because I think they are going to be resurgent, in the coming races, that Mercedes and Ferrari have a weakness in Red Bull to exploit, which is Perez's discontentment, which is uh, Verstappen's belief that he should be the number one driver and that Perez should be moving aside for him. If there is an opportunity, like Russell had in Spain, to let Perez through and hold up Verstappen, I don't think it's a crazy conspiracy theory to say they should exploit that weakness. Double up on Max Verstappen, let Perez do his thing and have confidence that you can then beat Perez in the championship, even if not on a particular race. I I think that Perez beating Verstappen or going ahead of him in the championship will cause a significant headache for the Red Bull garage and the inter-team play. And I don't think this is a crazy conspiracy theory, Brad. Remember, Hamilton in 2021 was often four against one. He had both Red Bulls 
and both Honda and both uh, Toro Rosso's against him. I don't think it's crazy that Ferrari or Mercedes would from now on choose to double team Verstappen and, and take that take that pawn out the game. I just think Verstappen on balance will always be too much faster than Perez for this to be a thing. I think this weekend Perez did generally have the measure of Verstappen. Um, certainly was was much closer than, than you'd normally expect. Um, and I just think on a normal weekend, that isn't the case. And over the balance of the season, even though Perez is definitely closer this year than he was last year, I think Verstappen will just take the initiative and, and your suggestion for those other teams will be pointless. I think there'll be opportunities, Brad. I think there'll be chances. Listen to me, strategists. Don't listen to pessimistic Brad. This is the resurgence of Checo Perez. Here we go. He's still in it. Hashtag 11. Right. Time for some awards. We're going to start with the Good Thing Award. We're going to be super positive. Let's start with a beacon of positivity on this show. Ellen Ellard, you're at... Oh, I always get your handles wrong. Tell, Tell us where to find you on social media. So you can find me on Twitter at Ellen Ellard underscore. And you can find me on Instagram at... Ellen underscore Ellard. Okay. Yeah, that's awful. You should definitely change that. But do go and follow Ellen. You've, uh, you're have you up to some interesting things up there repping for Man City and doing all the like comm stuff and telling people that they've parked their car in a tyre fire, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. That's exactly <laughs> well, what I the do. owner of the if Land you lose Rover. Your, if you lose your kids in the Manchester area, yeah. I'll be the one who tells you you've lost them. Okay, brilliant. Fantastic. Go and follow Ellen. All the links for people's social media will be in the show notes below. Right. Positive thing, Ellen. Who's your thing of the weekend or what's your thing of the weekend? Monaco, in it? Oh, hello. you're still <laughs> rapping. I thought I'd won this argument conclusively. No, having a good race at Monaco and something that hopefully will keep it in the calendar for a couple of years to come. <laughs> at least would be nice. So yeah, let's let's go with that. I'll take I'll take the easy win there. Okay, Monaco. Brad Philpot, you can find him on Twitter being completely neutral and you know not supporting or hating one particular driver or another search for brad philpot on twitter you've got like eighty-five thousand followers now i wish no, no. i've got 15 and a half thousand That's more than me i don't like that yeah but i've only got more than you because that was my aim oh, okay. i just made sure it happened <laughs> yeah uh, but you can follow me at bradley philpot um my thing of the weekend is that the the band that played the national anthem of mexico had that tune down, even though none of them expected to be playing that. Today. Yeah, that's true. They, yeah, that's a good and point. They just nailed it. So that was my thing of the weekend. Nice. I also, I also wanted to hop in on that one. I just thought the the fact of them. So there's at least fourteen different nationalities on the on the grid, and then you've got a, maybe taken. Uh, I've, I haven't done the math, so maybe taking some an extra constructor in there as well. And the fact that they were just prepared. You know, they had their little. I've can't. Trumpets did tell us what they were called, their little cards ready to go and they'd be flicking through trying to find which would be the right one, you know, especially if it came properly down to the wire, which, yeah, I know it's Monaco, but they're flicking through trying to find the right one to then prop up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that as well. I don't know. Music seems easy to me. Uh, Speaking of which, Matt, two rumpets at MattPT55 on the, the Twitters. Links to your wife's books below. You should check out Amanda Weaver's romantic novels so that Matt can put his feet up and live a life of luxury and buy a Ferrari and have holidays in the Bahamas. Go and buy Amanda's books. Oh, we should yes, warn I'll... people, Matt. Sorry, they're a bit mucky, aren't they? They're mucky books. They're, they're they... a bit... 
Yeah, they're a bit Bridgerton. They're relationship heavy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're yeah. Bridgerton y. That's fine. I'll wait for the TV. I'll wait. I'll personally wait for the TV adaptation. But if you don't want to, click the link in the show notes below. Thing of the weekend, Matt? My thing of the weekend, and I can't believe anyone else has mentioned this, is Jost Capito walking up to Carlos Sainz's Ferrari, hanging in the air with his cell phone and taking pictures of the underside for his team, as if to say, lads, this is how you do it. You go up and you take the pictures so you know what they're up to. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I am going to give my thing of the weekend to a, a thread of positivity. I'm going to give my thing of the weekend to, and I'm still not sure if I was saying this right, but Joe. Yeah. What's the full, what's his full name? Guan Yu Joe. Guan Yu Joe, but known as, known as Joe. It yeah, because, well. Yeah, yeah, I know the, the names are, you know, prioritized different ways around. Yeah. I, I will try and learn. But. The save after he clearly outbraked himself looking for an overtake, Brad, uh, out of the tunnel and, and just looking at his steering wheel inputs, he just it just seemed like I felt like an out and out pay driver would have put that in the wall. I just, I just saw a glimmer of something. And then the way he reacted that over to the radio, I went, oh, oh hello, got a little mini fan tingle there. Maybe Joe's not all that bad. So I know I'm on here to give professional driver insight but this i'll admit was a part of the race this like 10 second period oh, okay. where my phone froze my my usually excellent sky oh, sports no. okay. app on my phone didn't show me that bit but i did hear his reaction afterwards so yeah. i'll just have to go with you oh, okay, okay. Well, really so, well, look 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 well, well, there's nothing spectacular it was nothing amazing it was just like i said a little just like a little fan tingle that went oh okay all right you've given me something to to hook my, my fandom, just to at least know it's there. Let's see how that goes. So I'm going to give him the, my thing of the week. But now here's the negative one where we get to be like armchair pundits as if we know better than everyone. Here's our Missed Apex Award. Oh, no, you missed the Apex. All right. Let's see if we can muster up any negativity. Ellen, do you think you can muster up a bad thing? Yeah, anyone who's slagging off Monaco. No, I'm kidding. Oh, no, I'm kidding. that was I'm me. I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, my uh, Missy Apex is any celebrity, and I'm not going to name names, but we did mention Bridgerton earlier. Well, I didn't say anything. Um, who is on the grid when Brundle is doing a grid walk and refuses to speak. Just refuse, just like, it's like there are agents like, yeah, you can speak. And just still, and it's just like, come on. This is, especially at Monaco, this is part of the fun. Come on. So I know we all said, my, we all said Miami was bad for celebrities, but um, I think Monaco, Monaco was like oh, the the proto Miami in a way. But it's also, always been like that. Yeah. But I feel like most of the time they get involved and I'm like, if you're just there, just because you've watched Drive to Survive and now you're like, oh, cars, great. And now you no, don't look at me like that. Yeah, I now just you're slaying feel... all the Drive to Survive fans. No, 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 no. I'm no. I'm just saying. I'm saying celebrities. Oh, I see. Yeah. I'm saying okay. celebrities who are there on the grid walk but refuse to speak to Brundle. I guarantee everyone who's watched Drive to Survive would be absolutely. They'd be there like Brundle. Please speak to me. I'm saying <laughs> celebrities who are just there and just refuse to like. Why would you? Everyone's got something to promote. I'm not a celebrity. I've got stuff to promote. Talk to Brundle. Just just have a chat. No. When I finally get invited to a, a, a grid and I get my grid pass, I'm gonna I'm gonna blank Brundle. That's a that's a guarantee. It's a spanner's guarantee. And I'm no, gonna I'll come round your house and I'll be like, "What have you done? Why would you do that? I'm you've gonna, got a pod. You've got a pod to promote. No, if you no. didn't if you didn't promote the pod. Oof. No, I'm gonna. I'll, I'm out. I'll, I'm I'll, done. I'll drop See my roots later, so hard. Uh, Brad Philpott, who missed the apex for you? 
oh, this is really easy that you've come to me this early. Ferrari's strategy department, oh. if there even is one, they like that's savage. What, okay, what what is that? Like box for hard, box for hard. Stay out, stay out, stay out. Like no, 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 no. It's the consistency with which these things seem to to come up. And Leclerc was being very diplomatic in the post race interviews. And even though the interviewers that I saw, the the lady was trying to really like give him the words which were all true like do you feel let down he was very polite about it but he was let down yeah he he did extremely well to <laughs> you could see between each question when he was having, when he was answering mm. he was having to like take a breath have a think yeah i wouldn't say let down is the right word but then describe in detail can... how he was let down <laughs> exactly oh. he, he had every right to to really throw them under the bus today but he didn't and um and you know that's why we that's why we like him as a driver because he's a, a good guy and he knows yeah. that the team are the same team that have ruined the strategy today have also provided him with a car which is good enough to win races so you can't just uh, you can't mm. shout at them too much. Pete Shilcock rightly says no way Richard Reddy would blank Brundle. I wouldn't. I'd give him a big hug and say thank you for doing all the F one things all the time. I'm not like other celebrities. In this scenario, I've already starred in two movies: one as a breakout role one as a leading role. Matt, stop shaking your head. It could happen. I'm just stretching my neck. That's oh, not a shake of the head. It looked like a shake of the head. What was your Miss Apex Award? Uh, this is a hard one for me, really, because uh, obviously, you know, I, I just want to bang on about how Ferrari managed to both undercut Leclerc and overcut him with his own teammate in the same race, which I think is remarkable. It may never have happened before in Formula One history. Uh, but... Given that Brad has already taken that one, I, I have to say that um, I was really disappointed with Albon in the race. I don't know what exactly went and wrong there. And you're an Albon fan as well. We have to say. I feel like he. I feel like he was really on for almost making mm. Q3 in quality till the red flag in the first qualifying session ruined his tire prep time. Like he didn't have enough time to get the tires into the window, which is why he didn't wasn't able to put together the kind of lap we'd seen from him earlier. And, um, and, but just like the race really just went away from him. And I don't know why. But and and he made just, that mistake into Sandoval as well. Yeah. Okay. It, it yeah. just like, eh, yeah. Yeah. It was eh. one of those. It was a, a little bit of an off day uh, at the office. And I am going to give my Mr. Apex award to the four buy-in drivers on the grid. I don't think we should have any buy-in drivers, but of the four buy-in drivers, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I know I'm counting uh, Joe in that as well because he nearly lost it and stuffed it. Good save in the end. But, you know, we had Stroll and Latifi bin it on the safety car-led formation lap and then Schumacher also, like, you know, having a big, big smash. And Schumacher has had an awful lot of crashes. I know he's a nice guy. I know there's an awful lot of support and goodwill. And and I'll, I'll join that. If he starts performing, I'll join all that goodwill. But he does bin it an awful lot. And it's it's more than a pattern now isn't it is or am i being am i being harsh brad like like he's in the wall like every third race yeah i, I like citation as well. yeah yeah he's he is a nice guy does seem like a nice guy i do think there's something about you know he's got something there but i also haven't seen anything really from him that that makes me think yeah this mm. guy's destined to be a top line formula one driver he looked better last year because he had one of the worst yeah. drivers that's got into Formula One in yeah. recent memory as a teammate. So he was really flattered. 
And I think now alongside a, an average to good, yeah. solid teammate, he's who's been out for a year, he's really getting shown up. So, yeah. Uh, and he's crashing. It's, I, kind of, it's bad enough if you're not quite on the pace, but he's crashing too. Yeah, and I think this is it. I think I had a lot of patience for Latifi when he was just bimbling around at the back. When he started getting into this, I don't know whether he's pushing more, but he suddenly just started causing incident after incident, safety car after safety car. My kind of, you know, how much I want Latifi in F1 disappears. I think with Schumacher as well, not only has he been having all these incidents and not performing against Magnussen, but like you say, there's, I haven't had that thing. Kyle, I know Kyle Power, who we all respect, he, he's he got a, a Mick Schumacher fandom. He's disappointed with the results, but he's had some appeal. I think some of that might be because, you know, Kyle was a, a, a Michael Schumacher fan as well. But yeah, I've yet to have that fan tingle set off by Schumacher as well. So I'm going to give uh, my, my those four drivers uh, my, my combined missed apex award guys thank you very much for this uh, monaco grand prix review it's it's never easy to sit and put a monaco review together but this race did provide intrigue and talking points and i think we're still set up for a fantastic season so please do go and follow my panel ellen ellard support ellen in her war her new war against matt two rumpets and make sure you catch brad philpott's new q a series where people ask him things after the race from a driver point of view we'll put a link to those show notes below brad if you send that across to matt um what do you call it behind the visor it's called through the visor through and the we visor. did think about yeah. think, we did think about behind the visor but mm. we thought that through was more of a looking outwards so nice. went for through the visor and the next episode will be recorded on tuesday so if you've got any questions and you you hear this podcast before then Send them to me on Twitter at Bradley Philpot, and I will try and answer them if they're good. And we put the first episode also on our patron only audio feed. And uh, I'm going to try and convince you to get maybe, you know, once a month or so to, to guest upload onto the main Missed Apex feed as well. So go and check that out. But guys, it's not going to be long before we are back in the action. We, of course, have Vancouver and Baku coming up. I really think this F1 season is still up for grabs. Anyone, anyone of three or four drivers could still win this Formula One championship and there is a lot of season to go. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Nothing makes me more uncomfortable on Mr. Apex podcast than the rest of the panel all cracking up while I'm talking. What, what happened, Brad? What did I do? I just, I'm looking forward to this new race you've mentioned at Vancouver. When are we going oh, there? Oh, don't. Oh, it's on my bar. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.